Listening to the Paranormal Radio Network. once again from sunny Roswell, New Mexico. I want to say welcome to our friends and listeners from all over the world listening online tonight to us on the Paranormal Radio Network, as well as welcome also to our FM listeners on 105.3 FM in New Orleans. Thank you for joining us tonight. You're listening to Live from Roswell, and I'm your host, Guy Malone, bringing you the one and only talk radio program beaming to you live from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, where all your faces are belong to us. Tonight what we're going to be talking about is something you may have seen in the news lately, even CNN, is that a couple guys from the Georgia, rural Georgia area, claim to have captured a Bigfoot uh, carcass, anyway, that they found dead. And um, they they held a big press release in California. They promised DNA samples and photos to satisfy the scientific uh, community. And uh, as well as you may have also heard of the news, I lined up my guest, Joseph Palermo, because he is a paranormal investigator with a lot of years tracking and covering and investigating Bigfoot claims and things like that. But since he and I first set up tonight's program, pretty much everyone, both on the Internet and as far up the ladder as CNN, has already big hopes. But tonight we want to sort through the truth and fiction of both of this Bigfoot encounter, so to speak, as well as uh, find out a little bit more about the animal itself. And Joseph has had tons of experience with cryptozoology in general, so we may be talking about all kinds of other animals as well. We'll get started with Joseph in just a minute. First, I just want to let anybody out there that's listening to us live right now, late in the evening on August 23, 2008, that you're welcome to join in our discussion, and you can pose a question to Joseph. Uh, you just call us toll-free at 877-786-0562 or by emailing me at talktome, T-A-L-K-T-O-M-E, at livefromroswell.com. That phone number and email address are listed on livefromroswell.com, and you'll see a link to Joseph Palermo's website as well. And if it's not August 23rd and you're listening to an archive or a rerun, you'll be able to find these links to Joseph's material on the archives page at livefromroswell.com. I'm going to read you Joseph Palermo's bio before we get started with the program tonight, just so you know who our guest is. And that is posted online right now. I'm going to read straight from my own website, but it's Joseph's bio. Joseph Palermo is an independent paranormal investigator from St. Louis, Missouri. His experiences range from UFOs, aliens, Bigfoot, chupacabras, ghosts, spirits, and psychic phenomena He's been involved with the Missouri MUFON and the St. Louis UFO Study Group for over 25 years now. He's also on the board of directors for UFORC, which is a global UFO investigation organization, and the St. Louis UFO Study Group. Joseph has been a videographer, a historian, a librarian, editor, and publisher of the newsletter Enigma, as well as president and board member for the UFO Study Group, and as well as serving as State Director of Public Information and Education 
and assistant state director for investigations in the Missouri MUFON. Quite a bio, quite a mouthful. And in uh, 95, we're going to have to update this, I think, Joseph uh, started his company, Dream Master Studio, and he went on an expedition to Puerto Rico in 96 to investigate chupacabras. He then produced a documentary, Chupacabras, The Legend Begins, and portions of that were aired on a documentary on vampires, of all things, for the Discovery Channel in October of 2005. But I'm thinking that, uh, Joseph, we need to update that bio now, don't we, since you've been featured a lot more prominently recently, haven't you? It's probably a good idea to do that, Guy. Uh, hello to you and hello to all of our listeners. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you, thank you. And, uh, yeah, the uh, most recent update on my uh, old gallivanting around doing this sort of thing, uh, <laughs> I was fortunate uh, recently, and I think we, we kind of covered this before in some programs, that the uh, History Channel's uh, show Monster Quest selected me to be on camera with them for a little bit talking about the Chupacabra history uh, from Puerto Rico. And they actually used some of my footage, which looked really darn good up against their high-definition stuff. They did an excellent job converting that and making it just fit right in the program. So kudos to, to Monster yeah. Quest, uh, you know, out there. So, yeah, that's, and I'm so much, I'm, I'm very happy that you're the one reading my bio instead of me. I, but that is mouthful. mouthful. It's mouthful. <laughs> Oh goodness! Yeah, we'll we'll do some updating. But uh, speaking of updating, the, the the news reporters just have got to learn to really go after a story. I mean, this this Bigfoot thing out of Georgia it just it it had legs that it just didn't need to have. Yeah, yeah, they're I don't know, pretty hard up or looking for something newsworthy other than elections and wars and stuff like that. Well, you know, it's it's uh, even even in these times, and I think that really does speak to the interest that the public has in paranormal paranormal phenomena. And I hate using that word phenomena, but uh, just in the paranormal in general. When, like you just said, in an election year, uh, we got all the stuff. I'll keep it clean here. All the stuff going on in life with oil prices and and the economy and all this kind of thing, here breaks this news about, and of course in my mind I always say potential <laughs> discovery or finding of Bigfoot, and people hone in on it. There's just that much interest in knowing, gosh, is this is this the one, is this the time that, that oh my goodness, they're really going to prove it? You know. Well, um, when I first uh, contacted you, it was well over a week ago, August 14th, mm -hmm. um, the news, the original news link, I've got these on live from Roswell.com, by the way, folks, in case you really just totally missed this story. Um, the first news report I saw was all the way in Australia. For some reason, right. I got a Google News alert, news.com.au had the story on two U.S. professional Bigfoot hunters claimed to have found a body of the legendary creature and will present evidence of the astounding discovery to the world's press and scientists. Mm -hmm. It goes on to give their names. They said that um, they, they found the Bigfoot already dead, but that there were some living ones in the area around that they must have just kind of spooked or scared off. But they claimed to put this carcass in the freezer. And when this news story first started coming out, they were saying they were going to go ahead and offer a big um, press release out in California where they'd give all the details show photos, 
and offer DNA evidence to the public and the scientists. And to be fair, I think, to the news media, that's one thing that probably gave the story legs is, oh, authentic authentication, DNA samples. They're going to turn over something paranormal or something long sought after to the scientific community to examine. And then, as you said, will we have our verification? Is this the one? It's funny, I emailed you, and you have my because I know you would have probably heard this story before I did even, um, but you were like right off the bat, no, it's a hoax. Yeah. <laughs> a, week yeah. before it even, a week before the news was reporting on it. Exactly. And see, so here's, I mean, I along with all the paranormal stuff that I investigate, uh, I went to Lindenwood College. I studied mass communication, uh, journalism, uh, you know, television production, all that. And the first rule in journalism is when you receive information you need to get at least three independent sources to verify that mm-hmm. I don't see I, I, I have no idea whether these guys that found it issued a press release that went over the internet I don't know how the story even began circulating but the very first problem I've got with the initial story when they and I think it was, uh, they're listed as staff writers on the article that you were just referring to on your website, uh, Bigfoot Found News Story. You are correct. Uh, staff yeah. writers. Yeah, staff writers. Uh, under that, I'm pulling it up here on my computer, to, they say, very first line, two U.S. professional Bigfoot hunters claim to have found a body of the legendary creature, blah, 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 just like mm-hmm. you said. Now, were they really professional Bigfoot hunters? No. What's their actual profession? A uh, retired cop. Yeah, one's a, one's a, one's a, uh, a cop on on light duty or whatever because he got shot, and the other guy was a correctional officer, correctional department officer. So no, their profession wasn't Bigfoot hunting. Their profession was in law enforcement. That's that's the first issue I take with this thing, uh, and. They sell Bigfoot <laughs> expeditions. That's yeah, that makes me immediately suspicious <laughs> right there. <laughs> yeah, that's the next exception I take. It's like, okay, now, where was the news journalism here to delve into just that part and and really present the real picture? I don't know. I don't know did other it. news media follow suit, do you think, with that? Like, I know it did make it as far as CNN before the press conference. Were they yeah. buying this profession, using this term professional, like listing these guys as truly credible sources somehow, or were they already pointing out, hmm, smells fishy, smells fishy? Well, I think what wound up happening was when the information came out that one was a police officer and the other one was a correctional you know, facility uh, officer, that tended to lend more credibility. Oh, mm-hmm. they're in law enforcement. This is what they really do. Oh, wow. They're, oh, these guys wouldn't lie. Well, not necessarily, you know, but I think that's probably, probably the direction that it took uh, on that. And uh, like, you know, like we're saying, it's, uh, you know, proving to be, a story of high interest anyway and the fact that they were offering these scientific based facts of the DNA of this and that 
it's like, oh, well, okay, because DNA, I mean, my God, if you talk DNA in today's time, uh, it's, it, well, it must be. It's DNA. It's got to be real. Yeah. It's got I mean, to be right. It's like you're thinking, well, no way these two guys, they'd be idiots if they offered DNA proof to the world if they didn't really have something. You took the words right out of my <laughs> mouth, Sorry. That was the first thing I thought, oh, come on, with today's forensics, are you really going to issue a statement that says you're going to provide solid DNA evidence? Come on, how fast is this going to unravel on you guys? Well, that's that's what I mean. It, it really lent to, oh, my gosh, this could be the real thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. What kind of idiots or hoaxers would pull off something like this if they didn't have the real thing, knowing that... Like you said, with today's forensics, anybody can examine this very quickly. Yeah. But you followed, you continue to follow the story, I guess. Oh, well, the story's just about dead outside of the fact that, you know, Tom Biscardi got taken for 50 grand on this thing. Okay, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. I wanted to ask you because um, the articles that were originally uh, circulating about this was those two Bigfoot hunters, it seemed to add a little credibility because, you know, the, the news story reads, that they called in, you know, the real Bigfoot hunter, the the real professional in Tom Biscardi, which also yeah. added some credibility. Can I groan a little bit on that one, guys? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I heard that one. So um, were you familiar with Tom Biscardi before this thing hit the news last week? Yes, yes, I'm familiar with him. Never met the man. but Sounds uh, like you have an opinion, though. Well, he... See, I could I could take this either way. I could be, you know, brutal about it, or I could be my normal nice guy about it. And I'll I'll be normal nice guy to begin with. Uh, he had, I guess, it's two or three years ago now. He had claimed, and he was on another radio program. I don't know if we want to talk about another radio program or not. That's but, fine. Um, uh, I I don't know if it was. I think it was George Nury of Coast to Coast that he was talking to. And anyway, he claimed that he had a an area in Northern California where there had been a family of big feet discovered living in, the, in this like cave area, and that he was going to set up a webcam and on a given date open it up so that people could see and 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 believe in Bigfoot. Okay, mm-hmm. and he took subscriptions for this. People paid money to be able to have access to that webcam. (laughs) Because back then, there was no YouTube webcams and all that was high-tech, sure. Yeah, so, you know, the day came and went, no big feet. And he got chastised pretty good about that. And, And his answer was, look, I was trusting this woman I've known for 25 years. She told me she that that she discovered this cave and blah, 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 and so on and so forth, and I said, it's, you know, it's, it's like, oh, it's all her fault. Well, mm. if Mr. Biscardi is a professional Bigfoot hunter, then why didn't he investigate? Right. Before charging people, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, so here comes, here we are three years later, and these guys from Georgia wave a red flag, hey, we got Bigfoot over here. And now I don't know if they approached him or he approached them. I'm not, I don't know which one happened. But my understanding is that he went to Georgia and saw this thing in the freezer and felt it. And he, you, you've got you've got the other uh, 
I am up here on your website. Um, the um, new, the news, the video, video carcass turns out to be gorilla suit. Where right. you see Tom Biscardi standing up in front of all these cameras with pictures saying, "This is real. This is as real as you are." Well, was it real? Yeah, but <laughs> what was it that was real? Turned out to be latex rubber and fake hair. Right. And that it was, was it, you know, that was that was actually one of the first things. Um, for those of you who who don't know. The classical standard Bigfoot has a conical-shaped skull. In other words, it's almost like a, a cone, a cone head. <laughs> yeah, you know, cone heads from France, I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, and then the other thing, as I looked at that picture, was the hair. Bigfoot tends to have, have long, maybe a little bit of wave to it, but more of a long, hair, this kind of, I mean, it looks wild, because these things mm-hmm. live in the wild. And I saw that hair on this suit, I'm like, that, that hair is just wrong. That's just too tame, you think? Just Well, it was all wavy and curly and stuff. It's like, that's not Bigfoot hair. So, you know, and, I, and I've and i unfortunately had the occasion to, to see a couple of uh, dead animals, and I know how a body uh, goes Completely yeah. muscle tone limp when when it's you know deceased, and I thought, well, yeah, I guess I could buy that his head if this thing's head is like scrunched over like that. But I looked at the teeth; it's like, mm, no, those are not Bigfoot teeth. And it just, I the more I looked at it, the more I thought, this is not it. This just is not it. And what are the chances after all these? years and decades, what are the chances that these guys are going to come across a dead Bigfoot? I mean, we've, we've been talking about that for years in cryptozoology, people and people, you know, say, look. Why don't well, you find are, a dead one ever? Yeah, why don't we ever find a dead one? Well, why don't we ever find a dead deer or a dead bear or whatever? Because nature is voracious in, in recovering, you know, the dead. It's own. <laughs> doesn't take but a few few days for for that to happen um and the family of bigfoot that they were supposed to have video of nobody's even addressed that that's right you know and did they stumble across the dead bigfoot first and then find the family who were over at the grave site mourning it or something morning or, <laughs> thank you for saying it <laughs> you know or did they find this family of big feet and they pointed out the body you know, for anybody who's been into Bigfoot research or investigation for as, as long as I have, it just wasn't adding up. Just absolutely wasn't adding up. Yeah, I'm really amazed, uh, I guess, at your discernment because I just saw the news article that came out and I emailed you and you were very quick with, it's a hoax from the very beginning. You brought up two things, though, that I want to ask you about. One sure. is, um, I'll pose them both and then we'll get back into letting you answer, is that you said that Tom Biscardi paid $50,000 to these two guys for it. Um, I'd like to know a little more about that, but I'm kind of curious. I mean, like you said, on that video at the press conference, he's there defending it, almost like he's swearing on a Bible. How did mm-hmm. this professional, who's been allegedly burned once before, show up in Georgia 
take a look at what these guys had and then want to back what they were saying and where did he even come I mean how did what was the deal where they paid where he paid them fifty thousand dollars I didn't know that but I also wanted to ask you if you don't mind doing this one first mm-hmm. is that you were saying well Bigfoot hair Bigfoot has long hair it's wild it looks like this uh, I just want to ask you because I'm sure someone else had to be thinking it Joseph Palermo how do you know what a Bigfoot looks like <laughs> yeah, you know. Let's talk about uh, your experience and research. Okay. All right. Uh okay, and we want to cover which we want to cover Biscardi first? Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yes, okay. do him first. How did this okay. professional get so hoodwinked and then want to defend what was an obvious hoax? Well, with all due respect to Mr. Biscardi, in my opinion, um I think the man is very ambitious and anxious about Bigfoot. But like so many people, maybe doesn't have the real understanding of what it takes to hunt and investigate and research all that. Uh, there, there's a lot of people out there who who see themselves as being investigators. Um, if I can liken it to uh, ghost hunters, you know, mm-hmm. you got Jason and Grant out there on the Sci-Fi Channel doing their thing. And after a few seasons, you've got a bazillion small groups around the country that, you know, are, I'm sorry to all the groups, but I've run across a few of them here in St. Louis, uh, who are, who are trying to play Jason and Grant and uh-huh. don't have the first idea of, of how to actually go about doing a, a haunting investigation, unlike, uh, the team that I'm with, uh, SPY, St. Louis Paranormal Investigations and Eliminations. Uh, that's, uh, headed by Jonathan Skaggs, uh, very good friend of mine. And, uh, we've, we formed a small team to go forward and do that. But, you know, and we'll include UFO and Bigfoot and all the rest of it in there. Um, but I think Mr. Biscardi, uh, maybe isn't as savvy as he would like to think that he is. Mm. Uh, I, I don't know how it came about that. Again, I don't know whether they contacted him or he contacted them. I don't know how he uh, what, uh, how he got over there and how the money exchange happened. I think I think there was, if I read right, and this is all through the news. I haven't heard this come out of his mouth that he paid them fifty grand. Okay, this is what was reported oh. in the news articles. Um, but my understanding is that when when these guys announced, "Hey, we've got this." He jumped on it, Biscardi jumped on it, uh, with a legal team securing rights uh, to the story, to the body, et cetera, et cetera. And that part of the, after the contract was made, that these guys said, well, you know, we really like some upfront money, some, some earnest money. And they agreed to that. Uh, and that's, I, as I understand it, that's how the 50K went out of, you know, I don't believe it was Biscardi's personal money. I think it was his organization's money. Oh, paid out. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, uh, you know, the, the, the sheriff, the, 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 the deputy, I think the deputy, the guy that got shot and was off duty, uh, in the news, his boss is, was terminating him. It's like, hey, wow, you are not acting, you know, in, you know, as proper, blah, 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 like a police officer should. You're gone. 
So there's that issue that now they've come forward to try to make amends to that. But there's still the issue, do we have a criminal case of fraud? Yeah, that's what I was kind of curious about, Uh, especially the guys out of work. They accepted $50,000. These two guys, they knew knew that it was a gorilla suit long before everyone else did. Right, (laughs) right. And then the fact that they accepted money does lean towards, okay, that's a... That could be a criminal charge very soon. Exactly, and it. Uh, see, I would have to talk to my attorney to find out the ins and outs of this. But it I'm seems sure to me, talking to his. <laughs> oh, sure, sure. <laughs> it seems to me that when you have a criminal situation, the ball's already rolling. And even if the, even if they gave the fifty thousand back and said we were just having a good time, here's the money back, and Biscardi says, oh, "Okay, I." You know, bless thee and send you on your way absolved. The courts may not see it that way. No, generally not. You know, it's like, no, 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 sorry. No, you guys committed this fraud that is a federal offense. We will see you in court. So I, I don't know what's going to happen with these guys. And you would think being part, being part of law enforcement, they should know about that. What, what were they thinking? Well, that was the question I was going to ask you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, guy. I, I really don't know what they were thinking. I guess just a couple of good old southern boys just out to have a good time. And now, they, the, the news reports early on, they said that they were going to start selling tours to the Bigfoot area, expeditions where you and I could put on our camos, pay them, you know, 100 or who, who knows how much, walks mm-hmm. around the woods for a day or two in right. hopes that we would see a Bigfoot because they took us to the general area. So right. this whole thing, obviously it's a publicity stunt, probably. Exactly. To, oh, yeah. And, and that may actually for be, that. That may be where Tom Biscardi was going to make out as well. You know, this entire thing could have been contrived. Entire thing could have been contrived because Biscardi's got... Uh, monetary gain to get from it as well as these guys do. They're both in the Bigfoot business. They both yeah. got merchandise. Uh, in fact, there was one news article I was reading somewhere online, and it had a link, I think, to the Bigfoot tracker site. I don't know if it was Biscardi's site or whose site, or the other guy's site. But anyway, I clicked on it. For Bigfoot.com, I think. That's uh, could, yeah, that could be it, yeah. Uh, and oh my God. Uh, every kind of apparel possible uh, with, you know, Bigfoot on it somehow, and it's just, it, it just reeked of a money-making scheme. Uh, and it's, it's so sad because the entire public has to wade through this stuff. And most, a lot of the public doesn't have the, the levels of discernment that a news journalist might to wade through this stuff. They they expect the news to bring them the truth. And you said earlier, you're kind of faulting the news media for even running this story because they didn't have two or three independent expert or verifications before they even ran this, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you, you know, in, in the day, you would have, you know, something. Let's go back to the Roger Patterson film of 67. Um, in the day, you... See, see these photos or you see this film and you go to the local expert at a university or a college, an anthropologist or somebody and say, hey, what do you make out of this? 
you know, um, you're going to have somebody on staff that has connections to either a zoologist or biologist or somebody, and you're going to call your sources to say, here's the data, what's your expert opinion? Mm-hmm. And then and you're eventually going to go to your bosses in the news media and say, here's what the experts say, I think we have a story here. Exactly. And they will kill, they'll agree or go, oh, this is bunk. <laughs> and that didn't happen. No, it didn't happen. Not in my opinion, anyway. Otherwise, it wouldn't have gone as far as it did. You know, these, the, uh, you know, in the day, the news media would have gotten to these guys. I mean, they put, they put up, no, unless they were hoaxing that too, they put up a clip on YouTube saying, okay, the reason that we did the, the fake uh, doctor or biology or whatever played by the deputy's brother, uh, you know, on YouTube was to, because we'd had enough. We had enough of y'all's death threats, your phone calls, your your nasty mail letters. And, and I'm thinking, well, if John Q. Public can get access to their phone numbers and all that that easy, why couldn't the news media? True. Why, you know, why... I, it just. It, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I get so frustrated with this kind of thing. Um, you know, especially when you find out that they're deputies. But the one guy's a you know a deputy, the other guy's a you know correctional institute officer. Hey, for any attorney out there, or any other law enforcement person, that's real easy to track. Yeah, we we want to trust those guys based on their records too. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we're at the bottom of the hour already. I'm, I'm surprised. I do have to work in a quick station ID before we go on. Sure First, enough. You are listening to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone. We're broadcasting globally from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, on the Paranormal Radio Network and on 105.3 FM in New Orleans and on hundreds of cell phones in the United States, thanks to UpSnap. You can uh, listen on your cell phone to the Paranormal Radio Network simply by calling. 704-631-4060 and enter this four-digit station ID code 2899 and this is new information to me folks but UpSnap is free now you can listen to your cell phone or listen to the, our programming on your cell phone for free I have live the numbers that you need on livefromroswell.com usually uh, but since we just got the new freebie um, you may have to wait, give me a chance after the program to update that, but you can listen to us anytime on your cell phone. And we're back already with Joseph Palermo. He is a uh, well-known, well-respected, been on uh, some serious television shows lately as a paranormal investigator of chupacabras, Bigfoot, UFOs, and the like. And I was asking you, Joseph, um, you gave such a detailed description. When you saw the pictures of what we now know is a gorilla suit, Mm-hmm. You were like, no, that's not Bigfoot because Bigfoot's hair looks like this. Bigfoot's teeth look like this. Um, I think it, it's it's well worth um, our time now getting into um, your expertise on this. Sure. And yeah, just um, you know, give like your general history to the years of you spent investigating Bigfoot, to where you could even have an expert opinion. Okay, okay. Uh, it, my uh, my time learning about Bigfoot started uh, September 14, 1976. 
Now, of course, I, you know, whatever movies are out there about Bigfoot, I probably saw, you know, my dad raised me on science fiction and horror movies, and, you know, it was just all a, a good time, you know. Uh, but it happened that September 14th, it was a Saturday evening, <clears throat> and uh, a buddy of mine was, was trying to help me out. He, I, I was all woes be about a relationship that I thought I was hanging on to, but obviously it was over, and I didn't know it. <laughs> um, but he he said that, you know, the best way to forget about a woman is with another woman. And I just kind of rolled my eyes off. Well, okay, mm-hmm. well, well, we'll do this double date thing. So we did. And uh, as was common back at that time, you know, we, you know we, evening starts coming around, and, and you go to Creve Corps Park here in St. Louis County. I was like, well, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, we'll do that. So we go to Creek Corps Park, and we go down Lakeside, <clears throat> uh, beautiful big park, uh, about 475 acres, and uh, just a beautiful lake, and uh, it was, uh, you know, a decent evening to be out. And uh, we were parked, uh, for those of you listening that that know about the lake area, there's uh, the entry off of Marine Avenue, and then you've got probably... Mm, I'm going to say three-quarters of a mile down yep. and then to a circular where there's a, a fall, a uh, waterfall there, and then a path that leads back into the woods. Um, and we were parked about a third of the way down. And uh, my buddy and his gal are having their time in the back seat, and uh, the gal I was with, uh, this was her very first, ever date and she would have rather been kicking a soccer ball around on the field than <laughs> being with me so uh, it's like okay all right there's this isn't going anywhere she's nervous all that i'm going to alleviate this so look if anybody needs me i'm going to be outside of the car practicing my kata i had my green belt testing the next day so i go outside the car and i'm doing some of my martial arts a little bit there and couple of cars come by with headlights on and I stop so I don't look I'm, like I'm having a fit out there or whatever and uh, I started into my third kata got to a point where I, I got kind of got lost and then I heard this ruckus over at my car and I look around and there's my buddy jumping out of the back seat with his fist up like he's going to pound somebody uh-huh. and it's like what is what and he looks around looks over at me and says come here so I went over and uh, he said, you've been messing around the car. No. Why would I mess around my own car? And he had this real perplexed look on his face. Now, I knew this guy from drama class in high school. He's not that good of an actor. He was serious. He had this look on his face like, I don't know. I. He said, well, I was, I was there, and... I saw on the passenger side window the shadow of this hand, and he held his hands up, guy, like the size of a uh, catcher's mitt, you know, or bigger. And I was like, yeah, uh, you know, and he said, I thought it was you, like you were going to try to give us a scare, so he alerted the girls to it, and they're all looking at this glass, and then there's two shadows of huge hands. And so he's maneuvering to the door to jump out at me and as he's maneuvering he looks back and sees me over here still and he 
makes his move for the, the door handle, the door is locked. He's got to take time to unlock the door, and by the time he does all this and gets out, whatever was there was gone. So I'm listening to what he's got to say, and I'm like, I haven't had my eyes off my car more than 30 seconds at a time. I haven't heard anything, seen anything out here. What are you trying to do? So he just shrugged, but he would if he got you, he'd let you know it, you know, if he was joking with you. <laughs> he, he didn't do that. We got back in the car. His girlfriend is almost hysterical. The gal with me has a single tear running down her, her left cheek saying, can we please go home now? So I thought, oh, man, what is he? Yeah, we can go home. So we, you know, we, we leave, and uh, we take the girls to get some soda or something, calm them down. And my buddy and I are both running through our heads silently, silently of each other. What happened? It's like, what in the world could have made those hand shadows? Because I stopped doing my cottage when the cars with headlights came by. I was on the driver's side of the car, so there wouldn't have been a shadow on the passenger side of the car. You know, I'm, I'm trying to add all this stuff up, and it's not adding up. So we get the girls dropped off, and we're on the way home. And he says, you want to go back and see what was going on? And naive little me, yeah, I'm a martial artist, and he's a boxer. We can handle this. Oh, Lord. <laughs> so we go back. It's now 12.20 a.m. on Sunday, on the 15th. And this time we drive all the way back down by the falls. And I parked the, uh, I had my station wagon at the time, parked kind of kind of diagonally towards the falls. I killed the engine, killed the lights. We both cracked our windows just a little bit, rolled them down just a little bit to hear if anybody stuck up on the car. And after about two minutes of silence, it was getting kind of boring, and I started to say something, and he shushed me. And he pointed out to me over by the path that leads back, over by the falls that leads back into the woods, what that he was seeing a form. Now, I wasn't used to seeing things at night. At night, This guy was used to going night hunting with his dad, and he knew how to, you know, see in the dark, so to speak. So he's watching whatever this is move along the tree line towards the lake. And I'm looking. I can't see anything. And I said, where are you seeing? What are you seeing? And he looks over at me with this frustrated look. He's like, right here. And he's got his left arm across his chest pointing out the window and his eyes are burning him a little bit so he kind of rubs his eyes with his right hand and kind of leans down a little bit i lean forward and i trace where his arm and finger are pointing and with a slightly moonlit cloudy sky at my disposal between two trees i see this form in almost inconceivably huge form lumber between two trees. I could see the hairy outline. I could see the cone-shaped head. I could see no neck. And a body that I used to describe it as saying, well, put, for those of you who remember, Rosie Greer, football player, put two of him together. That's what, and this thing was sideways. I wasn't even looking at it full chest on. I was looking at it from a profile. And I took a moment, I took a beat, and I reached down and started the car up. Because I'm thinking, I don't know what I'm thinking. It's, you know, it's time to get out. Time to get out of Dodge here. 
And I turned the car on, and he, my buddy's like, wait a second, wait a second, let's see if we can get a better look. And I'm real hesitant, and I was like, okay, all I have to do is drop the gears and gear and, and hit the accelerator, and I, we're good. So I said, okay, all right, let's see. And he's looking at it again, and he says, I think it's looking at us, which doesn't make me feel any better. Okay, right. now the thing <laughs> is aware that my car is here. Maybe uh-huh. it was just playing around over there earlier, but now it's aware of us. It's made so, a noise. Okay, I said, what's it doing? And he said, well, it's just kind of weaving back and forth from one leg to another. And I thought, well, okay, this, this thing is, is looking at us. I want to see what it is. So without telling my buddy who's looking out the passenger window, I reach up on the dash and pull the lights on. Lights come on, hit the falls, light up the entire area, and he's going, oh, my God, Joe, oh, my God, oh, my God, go, 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 go. I said, yeah, drop it in gear and go, and that's what I did. And uh, uh, I, it took us a moment to get out of that area. In fact, I, I was fishtailing so bad. You know, it's 12 20 in the morning. There's dew on the ground. This is a gravel road, essentially. And the back of my station wagon is starting to throw me up towards the tree line. So I had to stop, back up, and then proceed. And my buddy just kept his eyes glued to the back window. You know, and I'm driving. and go, go on up, you know, hit, uh, hit Marine Avenue, drive on up uh, south and hit Dorset, go down, or McKelvey, no, Dorset, go on down Dorset, and down by McKelvey in 270 is where I hit Steak and Shake. Go in the parking lot, stop the car, look around, everything's normal again. There's, and I could feel the difference, guys. I could feel right. the difference between when that, those moments were uh, were occurring, and then, and it felt so different. I had to think for a second to myself: Did what just happened really happen? Because everything is so nice and normal now. What, what happened? So I, you know, and I, I asked my buddy. I said, "What in the world happened that got you going so?" He said, man, those lights came on, and this thing doubled in size. He said, it, it must have been leaning over looking, and when the lights came on and surprised it, it rose to its full height, and it started walking towards us. So I, when I saw this thing lumbered between two trees, I had occasion to notice the tree that it left from and noticed a notch on the tree, like, like this, mm-hmm. where a limb may have gotten broke off or whatever. And... I wasn't able to go back until the following weekend to try to start investigating to see if I, you know, see if I saw what I thought I saw. And, um, you know, I found the tree and I found the notch and I'm looking up. It's like, man, that thing's probably at least 10 feet up there. So whatever this was, its head was matched with that notch. So it was, it was, this was a 10 foot tall one. And, uh, that started me on a five year investigation that uh, you know includes blood samples includes uh, local uh, vets local chief ranger parks and recreation uh, uh, quite a story I mean I, I wrote a script about it at one point but um, it uh, it just completely changed my life and it affected my karate testing believe it or not I I was, uh, and this is this is when I knew. Okay, no, I I did experience this. This was not my imagination. 
um, I, I was faced off for the fighting part of the testing, and um, all of a sudden, my mind is back at Creepcore Park, seeing this thing moving between two trees. And the only thing that brought me back was uh, uh, a gasp from from the people watching, because apparently the, the guy I was fighting threw a couple of techniques at me, and I didn't flinch. I didn't move. Oh. I was just glassy-eyed. And then I heard the, the you know the people watching, you know, heard a noise. I came back just as this guy was throwing a, a front kick, which had turned in fake. It was a fake front kick turned into a high roundhouse kick on me, and and I I dodged over that, but he took my glasses off, and then I was ready to take his head off. And <laughs> it was a bad scene, uh, but yeah, I I can remember that like it was yesterday. Uh, sure. So. That's part of it. And I've gone on to, uh, oh, man, uh, there was a uh, Bigfoot casebook out there by Colin somebody and Janet somebody. I can't think of their names. I was made a gift of that back in the, uh, mm, let's say, mid-'80s and uh, studied it voraciously. And it started you basically on five years of investigating Right, the, the truth or the fiction of the Bigfoot phenomena. Yeah, but and it wound up being both of it. I mean, it was it was my you know the the truth of my experience, so embedded in in my uh, it's just part of my being. I, there's no other way to explain it. Um, and let's see, that leads up to going to Lindenwood. Um, Periodically, having not encounters, but having people mention being out there, and then mm-hmm. you know saying something weird happened, and I'm all ears. You're like, well, what, what, you know? And um, I, I just hear these stories over the years, and then finally, let's see. Well, if I go through all the paces, it was almost six months to the day of my first sighting that. Couple of other buddies of mine and I went out to Creep Corps. Uh, of course, that, you know that's March, and uh, it was winter time, and, and we had a nice blanket of snow on the ground at that point. And I thought, well, if we're going to find tracks, this would be a perfect time to do it. So we, you know, we all agreed, and we went out there and uh, uh, went as we were moving back into the park. Uh, we took that, that initial path by the falls that I mentioned before, <clears throat> started off there, and there's a point where that path splits and goes down along waterside, and then it goes up, kind of uh, up the hillside a little ways, and then meets back down. And I decided to take the one, the one by the waterside, and the other two guys went up uh, the path. And uh, at one point, one of the guys mentions, you know, there's a situation here. Like, what? Well, I've been following these dog tracks uh, in pretty good pad size, probably about uh, mm, two-thirds the size of the palm of your hand. And uh, he said, they just stop. They don't back up. They don't turn around. They just stop. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm, what do I know about tracking dogs as well? Okay, I don't know what to make of that, but 
let's keep going. So we went on a little bit further, and as we were on the same path, uh, we noticed this fellow that was sitting way up on the hillside, solitary guy, just, just there. That comes into play here in a second. So we keep going, and we reach a point where you know, we've been hiking for probably a couple of miles now, and it's like, okay, we need to rest. <laughs> I'm tired. So, uh, you know, we're hanging out. We, you know, brought some trail mix with us and that kind of thing, and we've got walkie-talkies with us, and I've got my um, my emergency road flares with me. And uh, these guys decide they're going to hike up the hill right there and see what they can see. I said, that's fine. You know, so uh, they go up, and I'm down there by myself, and I'm I'm looking at the uh, area around me, just as pure as snow, no tracks, no nothing, just beautiful. And then over the walkie-talkie comes, and says, hey, you got to get up here quick. So I make my way up. Uh, I only had tennis shoes at that point, and it was a chore climb <laughs> getting up that snow-covered hill. And uh, there was a um, an old cabin that was uh, pretty much demolished up there. And these guys are getting all hyper. It's like, man, look at this. This thing's torn, been torn down. You think Bigfoot did this and blah, blah, blah? I said, no. Um, I got information from St. Louis County Parks and Recreation and got information on the park. And a trolley used to run from the city of St. Louis all the way out here to St. Louis County to the park. And the, there used to be a cabin out here. This has been here. It's it's run down and dilapidated and fall, fell apart through na- a natural course of, you know, not being maintained. I said, now, guys, this is what we have to be careful of. We, we can't jump to conclusions about, you know, Bigfoot tore the house down. You know, we, we have to do, be, do due diligence and do research and investigate. Okay, so we all go back down the hill now. And, of course, now that pure area, part of it has our footprints all over it in this mat. And as we're looking around, I happen to notice in one of our footprints this, what appears to be a patch of hair with flesh on it. And I'm like, I'm looking at it thinking, that looks, I mean, that's fresh. Suggesting like a dog bit it off. (laughs) uh, Something, yeah. And I look around, and I notice over the rest of this untouched snow that there's this golden tan hair finely spread over the snow. And I'm looking at it. And then I, I, I look over to my left and I notice, I, I saw it before, but I didn't think about it, you know. But I, I, I saw this, there's this big flat rock, probably about mm, 10 feet in diameter. And I'm thinking, rock, hair samples. Mm. And, and a piece of flesh on the end of hair. Something happened back here. So you've got something that could actually make for very powerful potential DNA testing like these other guys were claiming they had. Well, I did have. <laughs> yeah. Um, it turned out to be a possum? Uh, no, actually. Oh, for those that didn't know the, yeah. uh, the, the the story, I wasn't making fun of Joe. He, he got what I meant. The story yeah. of these two Bigfoot investigators that held the, the press release and everything and offered <laughs> DNA proof to the world that they had a dead Bigfoot. Uh, I think it was a human hair, a 
possum hair and something else, right? And inconclusive on the third part, yeah. Okay. The possum, yeah, exactly. Like, and I and and as soon as I read that, I thought you were stupid enough to do this. Oh, yeah, they my. were stupid enough to try to fake everybody out, weren't they? That's still amazing. That's a, it's that's just pure stupid. Uh-huh. It's not ignorance. It's not that you're sick in the head. That's just plain stupid. Crazy. Yeah, Crazy. we might get back to those guys. Go ahead and uh, see. Yeah. You had something that might have been authentic and and proven for DNA sampling, but what yes, happened with that? Yes, indeed. Well, I I pulled out a, a Ziploc baggie that I had with me, and I, I put that in, and I put some of the other hair samples in a separate Ziploc baggie, and uh, we kind of had it for the day, so we started going back. And as we reached that point on the path where we had seen that guy up on the hill, he'd moved down uh, and was sitting just off the path, you know, looking out at the water. And, you know, you're, you're out and about, and you cross. You get that close to someone, you usually, you know, say, hey, how's it going? You know, that kind of thing. Just being, you know, nice. And so we did, and he said, not too good, man. We're like, well, why? What's up? Well, I lost my dog last night. And all three of us are, you know, we're just like frozen. Like, oh, boy. And so my buddy that was tracking the dog is like, well, what kind of dog was it? It was, it was a shepherd. Shepherd dog, and what color was it? Golden tan. How big was it? Oh, he's pretty good size. He's about 80, 90 pounds. So there we are with my buddy having tracked a good sized dog with prints that didn't go anywhere. And then we have all this golden tan hair samples that we collected, including the one with the flesh on it, still attached. And it's like, well, we haven't seen his dog. So, well, we haven't seen the dog, but if we do, we'll holler out to you. Yeah, man, I really so appreciate the, it. So the sample you had in the Ziploc bag, was it golden tan hair? Yes. Oh. Yeah, we had a complete Something match got it. here. Something got it, huh? Something got it. Well, I'm sure Bigfoot got it. Bigfoot... That's one of the things, and I didn't realize that till recently when I was doing some uh, research on Momo, the Missouri monster, from back in the, well, about the same time I was dealing with my sighting. Um, Bigfoot has been seen eating dogs. Gross. At least, at least here in Missouri, it, it has. So, uh, so as we're walking back down the path, my other buddy's like, "Man, aren't you going to tell him? Like, tell him what?" We, we can't tell the guy that we think Bigfoot ate his dog. That's just just not cool. <laughs> and, and how are we going to prove that? You know, so, no, we just, you know, we just need to keep moving. So we did. And uh, now this, this is the part, uh, when you start involving other people in your investigation, you have to trust that the data they're giving you is true, is real. Um, so that's what I had to go on with, with the next chapter of this whole thing. And that was uh, my first buddy had a buddy whose dad was a vet. He said, I bet I can get Mr. So-and-so to, you know, analyze this for us. 
all right, cool, go ahead. So uh, it took a couple of weeks, but uh, uh, I met my I saw my buddy up at a, a mall, yeah, up at a shopping mall up at Northwest Plaza, and uh, he some sometimes he would get lost in thought. Okay, so we're standing there talking, and I bring up you know the vet. You know, well, have you heard anything? Oh, yeah, he called me, like, last week. Well, why didn't you call me? Well, I got busy and forgot. Oh. Okay, you're a big help. Okay, so what were the results? He said, well, he said there was definite canine blood there, and some of the hair was canine, but then this other blood he couldn't identify. So I'm like, okay, all right, all right, here we go. He said, yeah, there's only one problem. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be involved with this. He doesn't want anybody to know that he's done this, you know. It's like, but he said, well, you know, think about it, man. He's a vet. That's his living. If news got out that he said that he had Bigfoot blood, he'd probably lose a lot of business. <laughs> I thought, oh. Okay. Uh, so he had he he wasn't the vet wasn't saying this is Bigfoot blood. He just said this is something unidentified. As a vet, yeah. I don't know what this is. Okay. Yeah, and that's that's what we continually have to deal with uh, with any kind of analysis, whether it's a hair sample, a dung sample, uh, you know, whatever that's found in the field. Whenever we get it tested, inconclusive is the closest we can come. Now, you know what? We're we're at ten or ten my time here. Uh, mm-hmm. We actually got to run into a commercial break. I want you to okay. pick up the story and a couple things that uh, we talked about by email beforehand or before the program was uh, there may be from your investigation a UFO or Bigfoot connection, UFO ET, UFO chupacabras, and you know. Uh, those kind of topics, things that you've picked up on mm-hmm. since you've been an investigator. We may have to get back to what a sorry job the media did on this, too, by the way. But mm-hmm. um, <laughs> our producer, Joseph, was on the phone with someone discussing this. I thought he was napping or just forgotten that we actually took a break right now. I was watching pretty closely. Uh, we'll be back after uh, we do a little music and a little commercials for the Paranormal Radio Network. But we'll be back for another full, non-commercial, interrupted hour um, after these messages, join us in about six, seven, eight minutes. So, Joe, you go ahead and take us out with some music. And everybody else, join us back here in a few minutes on Live from Roswell with Joseph Palermo. Welcome back, folks, once again to Live from Roswell. I'm your host, Guy Malone. We're broadcasting globally from sunny Roswell, New Mexico, on the Paranormal Radio Network and on UPRN 105.3 FM in New Orleans. A reminder that our program is always sponsored in part by Alien Resistance HQ 
aka alienresistance.org, featuring biblical perspectives on UFOs and abductions, as well as DVDs from past UFO conferences held here in Roswell. And for those wondering that and who know that I'm part of that scene, our planning for our 2000 night has begun. We'll be doing a two-day event at the Sally Port in Roswell. So if you're thinking about coming down, uh, just keep on listening or send me an email sometime. I'll give you a little more detail on what we've got going on for 2009. is already in the planning stages. Till then, visit alienresistance.org for DVDs on the past conferences. Tonight we're resuming our conversation with Joseph Palermo, who is a paranormal investigator, and he's most noteworthy uh, recently uh, been on a couple of television shows for his work on Chupacabras. We were uh, going over the Bigfoot hoax story that uh, everybody apparently knows about from the news now. Two investigators claimed they had the real deal, a dead one, and DNA samples, and it turned out it was in a gorilla suit. I think we've probably adequately covered Joseph's opinions on that story and on the people that perpetrated this. Maybe not. We'll let him bring that up again if he wants to get back to it. But while I was um, while we were on break here, I've had a couple of our listeners contact me with a little bit of the story in our um, virtual auditorium. If you don't mind, Joe, I'm going to start just reading uh, through uh, like one listener's experience because it brings a question to my mind. Since just during our break, I got two of these that I can mm-hmm. uh, read from, and sure. it's going to it brings up a question for me that I'll pose you after okay. I read through a little bit. But one guy who was in the Army, um, training Army training on Mount Rainier Slopes. This is Oregano 2007. Thanks for telling the story to us. He said he was scared, and it was around 1 a.m., lying in a pile of leaves to hide. And because of this incident, I'm guessing, says he even went to the bathroom lying down. Um, he was a little lost. He suddenly heard a sound and looked up in the low lighting. This is 1 a.m. in the morning saw a large, tall figure walking by me, maybe 50 feet away, heard a growl as well. Um, He thought it might be the drill instructor, (laughs) but was (laughs) way too tall, and it walked with long arms, bulky, not chubby, just bulky. Mm -hmm. But other than that, he says it walked almost normally, and suddenly I felt fearful, which reminds me of you telling your story. Suddenly Mm -hmm. felt fearful. And it slowed down and sniffed, but walked on. And the viewer or the listener <laughs> says, I did not dare move for an hour or so, but then ran down the mountain as fast as he could. He, he was sure at the moment that it was either a drill instructor or a bear or something out, mm-hmm. something else, but found out later that the drill instructor was gone. Uh, but he mentioned that this thing walked entirely on two legs, so it wasn't a bear. And that left him wondering if it was a Bigfoot. And he never, he says, this was in 1969 in training interrogations, he never really talked about it much then for fear of being razzed. Um, But uh, the fear he felt reminded me of you telling your story. And there was someone else that wrote in. I'm going to have to scroll. Um, Marsh, Steve, hope you don't mind me sharing. on the air, what you've already shared in the virtual auditorium here is a car full of friends, and I saw a Sasquatch standing along the roadside during a driving snowstorm in the Colorado Rockies in 1972. We were too scared to turn around to go back and double-check it out. Again, there's a fear element in them seeing this. So, actually, I Mm -hmm. think I have two questions to pose to you, Joe, Mm -hmm. is that... um, 
this virtual auditorium where these people have sent me this stuff, granted it is Paranormal Radio Network, there's like 20 uh, people in it right now that have been, uh, been listening to the program through uh, mm-hmm. Pal Talk. And mm-hmm. out of those 20 or so, I've got two people. That's a full 10% of our miniature popula- population here. Right. 10% of our miniature population believes they have a Bigfoot story. And they all parallel to yours in a way that uh, this um, almost immobilizing fear was there. So right. uh, you can go either way you want to. First, I want to ask you, is this sudden dread feel of fear that kept a guy lying on the ground, even using the bathroom there, mm-hmm. is that normal? What else uh, from Bigfoot sightings do you and empathetic, telepathic, paranormal? How does just this dread and fear relate to these accounts from your investigations and even your experience and also if i've got a full tenth of you know if i got 20 people and mm-hmm. two of them have a, a story uh, i'd love for you to go into why is this creature so elusive why is there no real proof yet like these hoaxers um offered us okay two very good questions uh the first one uh is from a matter of psychology uh we're dealing with uh, essentially three modes that people go into in an emergency situation. Uh, fight, flight, or fro- they get frozen. Um, I don't know, was this, I wonder if this fellow was on maneuvers or why was he on the ground, uh, at that point in time and, and then all of a sudden hears something and then he gets scared. I'm, I'm not clear on that, but, it makes perfect sense. Uh, it's interesting to note Training. that he didn't say anything about smelling anything. Uh, he mentioned it was 50 feet away, what he saw. Well, these these things apparently, some of them anyway, carry a pretty strong odor. Mm-hmm. And to be honest about it, with my incident, later on when I, when I found this out, I thought, well, no, we didn't smell anything. I wonder what the deal was. Um... And, and that that could come from a uh, well. I'll pursue that later. Um, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. That this guy, we 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 humans have what's a sense, uh, kind of a sixth sense. Well, we got way more than our five senses. We know that. Um, but there's a uh, a sense that at least with little kids, we we identify it as stranger danger. Yeah. Okay? Back uh, many years ago when I was working with a crime prevention specialist for the city of St. Charles, I would often don the McGruff outfit for her. <laughs> and, <laughs> take a bite and, out of crime? Yeah, take a bite out of crime, you know, and, and go visit the, you know, the, the little kitties in the elementary school and stuff. And uh, that's, that's just something that we all have. It's like if you, if you get jarred awake in the middle of the night, in your immediate sense, you can feel something, some presence in the room with you that shouldn't be there. It's that it's that same sense, and a lot of times, you know, especially if you're, I guess, if your 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 senses have a way of identifying, perhaps, uh, just through pure energy, whether this is something that you should get up and look at or maybe you shouldn't (laughs) i'm not sure how that works but uh 
Yeah, uh, it, it's that's. I I would think that that would not be an uncommon thing. Very few people, very few reports that I've read uh, regarding a Bigfoot encounter has the person, you know, uh, not certainly not acting aggressive, certainly not, um, you know, it's just like, oh, I just crossed the point of no return and I need to stop and I need to figure a way out of here, but while I'm figuring a way out of here, I need to be absolutely still, so maybe it won't notice me. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of like... Is that uh, normal, as if you just got within 20 feet of a bear, or from what you know, is there something a little more um, I don't know, paranormal going on here? Uh, I don't have an answer to that. Okay. Um, I, I think that it could be the latter, because if if one is in a situation that is identifiable, someone says, "Oh, oh crap! There's a bear right 50 feet." Oh, hmm. Then you start thinking, "Okay, if I just step real carefully." But if it's an unknown, mm. you freeze. Mm. For for most people, you freeze. Yeah, so that bear, that is a commonality. We have a, a box in our brain for what a bear can do to us and what the consequences are. Exactly. But whether it's a little four-foot big-headed thing in your bedroom or a uh, seven, eight-foot hairy creature that you don't have a box for in your brain. I, I see all of a sudden you're in the unknown carrot. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, that, that wouldn't be an uncommon thing. Uh, with regard to the 20%, um, mm-hmm. I, I would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. Uh, you know, we've, we've done... There have been different roper poles and such about, uh, for example, alien abductions and that kind of thing, or even just basic UFO reports. True. And uh, bigger than we would think. Yeah, yeah. When I did my interview with uh, Colonel Wendell Stevens, uh, retired Air Force, uh, based on, and I need to go back and review that formula that he gave me. But there's a formula that the military had worked out, and this is based on global communications with the various countries, intelligence, communicating to intelligence, um, that they came up with the only 10% of actual encounters are reported. Oh, uh, so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we, we know for every one there's 10 more out there. And it, it could very well be that out of the 20 people in your virtual auditorium there, that more than just those two have had experiences, they're just not talking. Yeah, at the uh, moment. And, but at granted, the moment. it is a paranormal room in general. Yeah. People, people yeah. Well, that there have had go. those type of experiences, uh, you know, the the waiting is going to be a lot higher in this room than a random sampling. Very true. Very true. So how does Very this creature true. evade um, capture and solid detection or, or proof and not leave behind anything more than tracks? Well, there's several different perspectives on that. Uh, the first one being that, and Grover Kranz said this, anthropologist, uh, big studier of Bigfoot uh, for many years, and he's, he's deceased now, but he used to say that there was probably, in his estimation, a, about a 20,000 uh, population of Bigfeet here in North America. Hmm. Which, needless to say, only 20,000, that would be pretty spread out to begin with. 
Uh, and number two, they're nomadic in nature. They they don't seem to, uh, I guess, uh, in other words, people that have gone, you know, found tracks, they, they lead to a certain point and then they don't. Uh, now, whether it's because they, they get on the pavement of a county road and start walking down the road and you lose track or, you know, if you take bloodhounds after the scent and then they lose the scent or whatever, um, they seem, at least that's a speculation, that they are nomadic in nature. So in order to actually go after one, you have to take a, a different approach. And I think that's part of the... Uh, the issue with um, with any of the expeditions and all that kind of thing. Um, if you're going to, you know, get your backpack ready and get your little pup tent and have all your utensils and freeze-dried food and you know, all that stuff, and you're going to, you know, go with 10, 15, 20 people up in the mountains with some guy leading you, well, are you really well, only going... Only $295 a person. Uh, yeah, don't, yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh-huh. Are you really going after a serious effort to locate a Bigfoot, or are you going on a really cool, fun adventure? Yeah. You know, because that's the difference. And that was part of the problem I had with the Puerto Rican uh, expedition. Half the people that were on that expedition back in 1996 were doing it for fun. You know, uh, myself, Bob Buck. Uh, Mark Davenport, uh, and both those gentlemen uh, now deceased. Um, let's see, Kim Albertson. Who else would I consider? Probably Sandy. There was just, you know, about half of us that were really interested in in doing some serious research. Everybody else was just kind of going along for the fun and the game of it. And you can't accomplish anything that way. You know, one, you, you have to really sit down and take inventory, do a profile of what it is that you believe you're going after. Um, and there's technology today that could probably very easily, uh, it, I mean, you first you have to get within eyesight of what it is you're going after. Yeah. And you need to tag it. Throw a spider tracker on it. Hey, there you go. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Fellow Spider-Man fan, yay! Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, because the technology exists today to do that, but it's costly. So, where do you go to find sponsors that would pay for the high-tech stuff for mm-hmm. you to go off into the into the woods someplace for maybe as long as three months? You know, I've got an associate, uh, uh, Christopher. Forgive me, I can't think of your last name. Uh, I can right now, but he's uh, in charge of. You've got on my uh, bio there, Ufort. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Christopher is the man behind Ufort, and he, in fact, believes he has the the cry of a Bigfoot. Um. Uh, on tape. On tape. On okay. Tape. Uh, maybe someday you, you have Christopher on to uh, talk to him about it. Montgomery. Or maybe we can play it. it anyway. Well, yeah. Yeah, Christopher Montgomery. Um, uh, yeah, it's a possibility that, that we could get that to play at some point. But see, he, he lives, I believe he lives in the Seattle area. And it, it took him 
quite a while to be out out there in no man's land mm-hmm. to get this recording. And uh, he and I have discussed uh, the possibility of doing an expedition that we would, uh, you know, videotape and, and try to create a documentary, you know, for, who knows, History Channel Discovery, who else. Um, but he was, when I first contacted him about this, he was saying, well, now are these, do these people realize that we may need to be out in the wilds for three months? And I don't know about you. Do not get anything. <laughs> yeah, not, yeah. I mean, I, I would almost be inclined to try to hire someone who does that on a regular basis. It's three months. That's, you know, that's a quarter of a year. That's, mm-hmm. that's a long time to be out there doing that. But then you look at, um, uh, Gorillas in the Mist. Um, yeah, there's people that do that sort of thing. Yeah, there are people that, yeah, that's how we started learning how to communicate with gorillas. Um, it's it's an incredibly detailed, um, exhaustive process to do something like this. So that would be my answer as to why you know no one's gotten one yet because the due diligence it takes to do something like that has not been exerted. Something you said about that one, the numbers are so small. But you got me thinking, you said that they're nomadic by nature. I mean, they just move around. They don't stay in one place. Right. It's not like there's a cave that they return to. And, you know, if you zero in on the cave, you're eventually going to see one. I just want to ask your opinion, or tell me if I'm right in this, is that if research shows the Bigfoot creature, assuming it exists, and I'm sure that you do assume it exists. I do. Um, <laughs> yeah. Is, um, so when these, we'll just say these guys that started, yeah. You know, at the beginning of our program tonight, mm-hmm. if they're actually offering Bigfoot tracking um, expeditions, you got to think that nobody, no semi-normal person is going to spend more than a weekend doing this, unless right. they're really, really serious research like you are and, and ready to commit a long time and get something on film. Do you think it's dishonest or disingenuine of um, people that actually know and have studied Bigfoot? I mean, they've got to know it's nomadic. Do you think it's disingenuous of them to actually sell uh, like a weekend tracking expedition in hopes that you'll run into one because your odds aren't going to be any better than if, you know, you just stayed at home and walked through the woods closest to you? That's a real good question. And my my knee-jerk reaction to that is yes. However, um, if you've got an area... And this is actually the way that my team is getting ready to approach this. Mm. Uh, if you have an area, uh, uh, the Internet, God bless the Internet, because we can have instantaneous communication. We can know that, for example, in uh, West Virginia, in a given 50-mile radius, there have been 25 UFOs seen in the last, I'm, I'm making this up, everybody. Yeah. This isn't true. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but, you know, we can hone in on a, a cluster of activity and then beeline it there. Same maybe with Bigfoot. Same with Bigfoot, same with Chupacabra, same with, with any of these things. You know, if, if if we have really good reason to believe that that odds are much greater than normal of having an encounter, 
I think that's more than fair. You know, if you would you, have to go to the encounter or go to the cluster. It's not like you own a cabin at mm-hmm. the bottom of the hill where Bigfoot just hangs out year in and year out. Right. Right. Okay. Now that's that's one way to do it. Another way to do it is with historic data. If you, for example, here in Missouri, um, we had enough stuff going on that you know we had Momo, the legend of Momo. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you know Missouri is one of the probably higher-rated paranormal states. Uh, I remember getting a um, uh, a research book. Uh, that uh, was written by Mark Rodiger of uh, CUFO, Center for UFO Studies out of Chicago. And the subject matter was vehicle interference cases. And he'd collected, CUFO had collected data from all over the country. And as I read through this material and I did my analysis on it, Missouri was number one in incidents of vehicle interference cases. Hmm. Well, Okay, guess what? We target Missouri for information about that. You know, um, and I'm, as, as we were just talking about the percentage of reports that are done, um, I'm, for example, tomorrow morning going to do a first level UFO sighting investigation here in St. Louis because this guy saw something. He, it shocked him enough. The overall experience that he wants to try to get an explanation of what he saw. He's not the only people he told was his mother and his sister. His mother blasted off. His sister thinks he's crazy, but he reached out and made a report, and that got to me. So I'm I'm getting with him uh, along with another five team member, and we're gonna see what's there. But it's when people have something that happens, they don't know where to report sometimes. It doesn't matter whether they're on the Internet or not. They they don't even know what to search for. Uh, people that have experiences many times, it's so far out of their mindset. You know, they're just going along with their job and their spouse and their kids and everything's hunky-dory, and then this thing out of nowhere happens all of a sudden, and... They don't watch television about it. They don't watch movies about it. They don't read books about it. They don't know that there are programs like yours on to to tune into to find out about this stuff. They are at a loss. And so, yeah, no wonder, uh, you know, given reports go unreported. Um, Even the National UFO Reporting Center, that gets a lot of press in the newspaper, but a lot of people still don't know about it. And... Is there truly a nationwide or global database of Bigfoot reporting center? What do you? What does a person do with that information? I guess. Right. Exactly. I mean, if you can go online and type in Bigfoot, but and I haven't done that recently, so I don't know what comes up to begin with. I don't know if it's the BRFO or whatever. But uh, well, let's take that for an example. You are in Roswell. You have a Bigfoot encounter. You type in the Internet, Bigfoot, and this organization from Ohio comes up. The average person is going to say, yeah. well, what's that going to do me? I'm in, I'm in New Mexico. I'm not in Ohio. Crap, what do I do? You know, uh, we had, as, as a very interesting example, years ago there was 
a UFO situation going on in Hazelwood, which is a, uh, a, a, a sub-area of St. Louis, St. Louis County. This guy got up, getting ready for work, and he notices that his, di- his living room is lit to no extent. So he goes in there to see where this light's coming from, and he looks through the, the windows in the front of his house, and across the street between two neighbors' houses is this UFO sit down on the ground and lit up. And, oh my God, he grabs the phone and he calls 911, gets a hold of the police dispatch and says, there's, you know, blah, 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 blah. Uh, well, sir, let me connect you with uh, somebody else here. Gets connected to somebody else. That somebody else has a a, a, a flyer on the wall that says, if you see a UFO, call UFO Reporting Center. So he gives them the number. This guy calls UFO Reporting Center. Uh, I guess he talked to Davenport. He says, well, uh, I know that MUFON is in your state. Uh, here's the national number for MUFON, which is in Seguin, Texas. Guy calls that number. Gets a hold of Walt Andrews. Walt Andrews says, we've, uh, we've got a state director in St. Charles. Here's the number. The guy calls Bruce Whitteman in St. Charles, which is right across the Missouri River from, from Hazelwood. Oh, wow. So he gets Bruce on the phone. Bruce says, we've got an investigator in Hazelwood. Let me call him. Of course, now by the time he gets to Ken Hankey, this thing has finished his business and has taken off. But you see... Because the chain of communication this guy had to go through, uh, you know, it's, 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 we have to get better organized. But uh, since you mentioned it, uh, especially in context to MUFON and a UFO sighting, um, this is something you mentioned to be on email, and the listener is um, bringing it up again. Mm-hmm. What's that, Joe? Is there a connection between Bigfoot and UFOs, aliens? Ah, Okay. I know you've got some thoughts on this. <laughs> I yeah. Um, okay, my thought is twofold. Number one, in in all of the research that I had done prior to just a, oh, a couple of years ago, and like in that Bigfoot case book that I mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, and and different other reports, nowhere in those reports did the person indicate anything about UFOs. Um. Now, that having been said, there is a possibility that some, some different communications that we in, in the UFO community have gotten that a given type of Bigfoot that we would look at and say, okay, uh, about eight and a half, nine foot tall, broad shoulders, hairy, yeah, the feet are big, it's a Bigfoot, something we would identify as a Bigfoot, may in fact not be indigenous to Earth is the original Big Feet. May in fact be an extraterrestrial base. Because there have been some reports of UFOs and then a Bigfoot sighting, but a number of those reports are also days apart. And I think that there are some researchers out there that 
and I, I hate to say it, but maybe have a theory and are trying to prove their theory, which, you know, okay. But go where the data leads you. Don't interpret the data just to fit your, you know, your program. It yeah, may very well be that you've got person A that reports a, a UFO sighting within 10 miles of your location. Pardon me. Then you've got person B who doesn't know person A, reports a Bigfoot encounter a week after the UFO sighting person reports their encounter, and it happens to coincide within 10 miles of the UFO encounter. To me, as a researcher, that's stretching it. Yeah, I mean, but if does that scenario happen often? If that happened a bunch of times, you might start to notice there really is a pattern. And, and, and have you noticed you hit there on is it. or isn't? Yeah. You hit on it. Is there enough of a pattern to give consideration to that theory? I haven't seen it, but it may exist out there, just not having been found yet. You know, most of the information that we have on any of these things, uh, UFO, spirits, Bigfoot, Chupacabra, any of this, the researchers, and it, it, it may not be a purposeful thing, but there tends to be, and I, I hate to use the term, but sometimes, not, see, using hoarding isn't a, isn't a fair term. I think there's just so much data that nobody has bothered to spread out on the floor or put into a, a computer program to sift through it and see how many matching patterns there actually are. Well, now we know what you're going to do with your next summer vacation, then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for my homework assignment, guy. Yeah. Do you really think there's a connection between UFOs and Bigfoot, then? The classic Bigfoot, no. Okay. Uh, a different kind of Bigfoot? Possibly. And the same with the Chupacabra. Um, because I, I've heard similar, the same scenario essentially. Person A sees this, person B sees this, they happen to be within 10 miles of each other and somebody leaps to, to the conclusion that the chupacabra came from the UFO. There isn't any, any, anything to back that up. Now, of course, with the chupacabra, we're talking about a whole different creature here. Although, and I think we touched on this before, uh, both Bigfoot and the chupacabra seem to have this body odor problem. Yeah, yeah, I think you did mention that once. And yeah. what yeah. is uh? Do you mind describing the whole body odor thing associated with Bigfoot? Because you've already mentioned it once tonight. Right. Uh, Bigfoot. In all the reports that I've heard, they talk about a stench. Stench is a, a word commonly used in conjunction with the Bigfoot. Um, almost as though there was. Well, you might say that as somebody that was unbathed and living in a swamp area. You know, yeah. this, this, this putrid, raunchy, rotten egg, sulfuric smell, which is different, actually, than the chupacabra, because they are described as having more of a chemical smell. Uh, bad and irritating, but not quite the same as the Bigfoot, now that we're talking about it. I love research on the fly. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that's um, and it, it seems to permeate an 
area. That's why when we were talking about that that fellow that was laying on the ground and all of a sudden hears something and, and, and thinks 50 feet away there's this creature, his senses could have been alerted by the smell. Mm-hmm. To start with. So, what would it smell like if, if not that I plan to, but if I were around <laughs> a Bigfoot and didn't know it? How would mm-hmm. you describe the stench that you you've seen in so many reports? Uh, just, just like a like garbage body odor. Roll, okay, like like garbage. Like your like if if anybody remembers the scene out of the first Star Wars movie where you know Luke and yeah, uh, you know they 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 think they're diving out and then they <laughs> they dive down into that trash compactor with the water and all that and they're talking about oh god does it stink down here like that like like being in a um, uh, a landfill maybe or, okay or a landfill okay. so so yeah something that just oh you almost can't breathe around it so if you ever if that ever starts happening guy. Uh-huh. Look around you. Break out the cell phone and the camera. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> whatever we got, you know, whatever you got on you. So why why do you think that um, the people that actually are honing in, you you may have covered this, people that are actually putting a lot of effort into tracking Bigfoot, other may, you may have covered it with the nomadic nature, but is there any other reason why they're really not coming up with much of anything? Well, I just I just think that these the very very serious effort that it's going to take to do this um, is being is, is being missed. The, all these folks are missing the boat. Uh, it's it's going to take, I think, a really focused, concentrated effort. Uh, again, going with the concept of, <clears throat> and you're not going to see this on the mainstream news. You know, it's something that that's going to the the groups out there that get reports are going to have to cooperate with their data, cooperate with their information, and uh, there needs to be a group dedicated to, you know, within a few days' notice, be ready to pack up and go to the location where, you know, the BFRO or whoever can say, uh, hey, in the last uh, 10 days we've gotten 15 Bigfoot sighting reports in this area. Dispatch that group. Has that ever happened? No. Okay. What's no. the most uh, over a period, a close period? Do you know of even like two people that have reported seeing a Bigfoot in the same week in the same area? Uh, well, I would say that that was occurring uh, in Louisiana, Missouri, back in uh, when was that? Seventy four, seventy five, here in uh, Missouri, mm-hmm. when Momo was being sighted. Yeah, that's that's part of the reason that it got such high coverage in the news here in St. Louis is because, you know, every four, five, six days, someone is seeing this creature. Uh, someone is um, reporting cracks. Someone's reporting some kind of encounter that would lead one to, you know, believe it was uh, the Momo creature. And it was, it was, okay, Louisiana, Missouri is, North northwest of St. Louis City, uh, probably about sixty miles. Okay, so we had that going on up there. Somewhere 
in the same neighborhood of time, we were also having animal mutilations, cattle mutilations going on, which is more UFO-related. Mm. Mm. Uh, then if we go south of St. Louis down to uh, Piedmont, Missouri, which is about an hour that direction, too, we were having amber light UFOs being seen there. But we were also in DeSoto, Missouri, which is about an hour and a half south of St. Louis. We were having Bigfoot sightings, um, Momo well, sightings. So, so yeah, there was a Momo, time Bigfoot, is, I mean, creature. are they affiliated as the same thing, Momo? Right. Mm. right. Yeah, somebody was being clever in the press and just came up with Missouri Monster and uh-huh. Momo, <laughs> you know. But, uh, yeah, we, we had a, uh, a cluster of sightings going on for about three months of, of a variety of, of things like that. But that like was the 70s and nothing, or are you saying that nothing significant as far as Bigfoot like that has happened again, a, a cluster to where, like you said, a team could be assembled to just go? Right. Not as far as I'm aware. Now, we are, of course, in a different time, uh, and I thoroughly believe, in fact, this is something that uh, the team I, I work with, I, I, wanted, I want to do this with these guys, is get information to at least the county sheriff departments throughout the state of Missouri, saying, you know, here's the Internet information, here's the email, here's the website, you know, we're serious about this, we know in the past about the history, blah, blah, blah. And please, 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 if somebody comes in and they seem sincere, you know, I mean, how long does it take for you to jump on your computer and sheriff's department and, you know, send us a brief? Send you an email. Yeah, something. Something. So Uh, since you're a a documentary filmmaker, mm -hmm. and uh, by the way, folks, you can uh, see Joseph's site listed from livefromroswell.com as well as the work he's done on a Chupacabra documentary that is, uh, unless you've changed since we talked last, you have an instant download. Someone pays online, they can, uh, you know, 295, 395? Uh, actually, what that is, that's the Yusha report, and we put a lot more into it for this premiere edition, and it's uh, $7.71, but it contains four, over four and a half hours of uh, video programming. Uh, the, the complete Chupacabra, The Legend Begins, uh, some of the uh, other paranormal investigations that, that we did. We did this one back in February, and it includes the house cleansing that was done. Um, what else? Uh, some articles, some, an audio uh, piece, quite a bit for $7.71. Yeah, and this is footage that the Discovery Channel has used. It was your work and your research are, are were considered good enough. Um, well, let, or, yeah. Let me let me make a slight correction on that. Uh, <laughs> my footage has been seen on Monster Quest on the History Channel. The Discovery Channel situation, and that was probably my fault in communication at one point. Uh, they had contacted me about utilizing footage, uh, and then you know you start talking money, and they start getting squeamish. <laughs> so that didn't quite happen with Discovery, but it certainly did happen with Monster Quest. Cool. So, uh, well, so yeah. If what you've suggested, if you can actually get enough sheriff's departments or, or even news media uh, cooperative, like mm-hmm. a little network going, it just it raised the question of, you know, you got to have a couple, three really dedicated people, and definitely including a videographer. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is it a real possibility 
if you could find a, I don't know, I hate to use the word, but like an eccentric corporate sponsor, you know, a millionaire, you know, right. who's slightly interested in this stuff, if mm-hmm. you had, you know, get you and Biscardi or someone like him, you know, together and say, we will do this at a moment's notice, get three, four, five guys, and, you know, if someone wanted to sponsor you, and even if it took years, mm-hmm. you know, just whatever, you keep your team updated, is, is it a viable thing to, to hope for or to ask for someone who would actually put the bill of dropping you um, where a Bigfoot sighting was happening for a month or three? Would, would you want to go, or do you think that's what it's going to take to get any true footage out to the public on something like this? Well, it would. I think it would take a very sophisticated plan to do this. But I guess the short-term answer to you is yes. Um, and with all due respect to Mr. Biscardi, I'll let him handle California and I'll handle Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it's certainly possible, at least of the terrestrial-based uh, uh, Bigfoot creature. Um, there, a lot of this, I, I think, also falls into the category of, and I hate to use this term, but the veil being lifted between dimensions, uh, which kind of calls into one of the aspects of the 2012 uh, scenario. Uh, I, I think that which helps keep these things hidden is becoming unstable. And I think we're going to wind up with more sightings of all of this, of Bigfoot, uh, Chupacabra, I'm beginning to have some wonders about, and that's something that we can talk about another time. But, uh, you know, the spirit world seems to be becoming more active. Um, so I, yeah, I think if, if we had a corporate sponsor, as you put it, or, or sponsors in general, uh, that with the proper team, with the proper knowledge, with the proper skills, uh, and the courage to, when we actually encounter this, move forward on it, yeah, we could do that. But it, it would take, go ahead. So it's possible. It's viable. It needs oh, to be I done. Think it sounds like. I think it is very definitely. There are, guy. There are so many UFOs being seen in in the in the airways nowadays, especially over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, almost Next every step. day when you go check. Well, you do Google Google alert. I've got uh-huh. my Google <laughs> alert sent for UFOs and Bigfoot and that kind of thing. Man, lots of stuff going on over there. You know, and you you've got. The, the 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 age old story. Yeah, I was out walking my dog and saw this and didn't have a camera. Well, <laughs> what about the cell phone? You know, the camera on your cell phone. We're getting a lot of those. Um, but then we're also, and I think somebody out there has been pretty clever. The faction that does not want this stuff known about, I think, maybe behind a lot of these. Hoax, really good-looking hoax UFO things you find on YouTube and MySpace and that. Well, uh, even uh, you know that brought up my. We're down to one minute, actually. I found out, but something did bring my mind. Just I want to see if you agree. Even though this story turned out to be a big hoax, mm-hmm. and it's just it's laughable. We can all write it off now. Is right. that um, it's like the alien autopsy film that is also believed by pretty much everyone to be a big elaborate hoax. Mm-hmm. But it really brought this to the forefront of a lot of people's attention. Mm-hmm. It made them wonder. It made them start Googling more. Do you think that 
even though this hoax was a horrible thing to do, uh, you know, almost in a yes or no way at this point. Can you tell me, do you think that as far as public awareness and getting to the bottom of the Bigfoot mystery, this hoax has actually been helpful in any way? Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's as direct response as I can give. Cool. Um, Sort of to yes. Okay. Well, we'll have to end on that. Thanks a lot for uh, sharing and coming on tonight to tell us a lot about this, Joseph. You've been listening to Live from Roswell on 105.3 UPRN in New Orleans on the Paranormal Radio Network all over the globe and on cell phones as well. You can listen to our program on your cell phone now by calling 704-631-4060 and entering this four-digit station ID 2899, and it's completely free. We'll have more info about that for you one day. And uh, if you like tonight's program, it will be archived online. So even if you just missed the beginning and want to hear how we got started, or if you want to share this with a friend, tell them to go to www.livefromroswell so they can check out tonight's program as well as a link to Joseph Palermo's work. So I'm gonna. this is Guy Malone. I'm going to sign off. We'll talk to you next Saturday night. You can stay tuned for UFO Undercover with Joe Montaldo following this program. Till the cows come home, I'm Guy Malone.